There is no fountain of youth and no pill in the world that will make you live forever. But can you imagine living every day for the next 100, 200 years with pain and sickness running through your body? It's a good question, but there is a new life you've been offered apart from pain and suffering. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Jesus says he is the life, and that life can be given to you because of what happened on the cross and that resurrection morning 2,000 years ago. Today, Charles Tapp shares how you can find that abundant life in the last part of his series, Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, with part three, Fighting for Your Life. I want to begin our message today by revisiting the question that Jesus' disciple posed to him the night that he shared that somewhat unsettling news to the twelve that his departure from them was imminent. And it all began when Jesus took the opportunity to share with them what I believe are some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture. And we've read this many times. I'm sure most of us know it by heart. But I want you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, and I want us to read verses 1 to verse 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Although these words spoken by Jesus to his troubled followers some 2,000 years ago, they continue to resonate in the heart of tired and weary believers today. Amen? Because when you think about it, folk, regardless of one's station in life, regardless of where you are in the bigger scheme of things, listen, life is hard. I didn't have to beg for an amen that time, did I? Life is hard. If you're poor, life's hard. Even if you're rich, life can be hard. If you're young, and I still consider myself young, Now I have to beg for an amen. Life is hard. And if you're older, life is still hard. Because these words, despite the fact that they are ancient, are still able to comfort the troubled souls, even in our day here in 2013. But here's where things began to get somewhat sticky. Here's where things became somewhat tricky. When Jesus began to tell them in verse 4, listen, I've gone to prepare a place for you, but then he says, you know the way, and you know where I am going. Now, everything was fine up until this point, but this is what sparked Thomas to say, Jesus, how can we know the way when we have no clue as to where you are going. And I don't know about you, but I applaud Thomas for for having the courage to ask this question. 
Because if he hadn't, we would have missed out on what I believe is one of the most powerful, one of the most comprehensive claims that Jesus ever made concerning his life and his purpose. And that's saying a great deal, especially when you look at some of the remarkable claims that Scripture says about Jesus. Jesus is called the true vine. He's called the door. He's called the Messiah. And he's also called the bread of life. But I believe all of these claims about Jesus pale in comparison to how Jesus responded to Thomas' question. How can we know the way when we don't even know the where? And then Jesus responds by saying, "Uh, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Notice Jesus didn't say, I know the way. He didn't say, I'll show you the way. He didn't say, I'll give you a GPS and supply the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just in case there was some confusion still in their minds, Jesus says, listen, no man can come to the Father except they come through me. For Jesus makes it crystal clear that it's not through our efforts and it's not through our human work that you and I can get to God. And it's not through some sadistic form of legalism that you and I can be saved. But he says, you've got to come through the way that God has provided through the life of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I am that way. Many people are looking today for the way To God, they're going this way and they're going that way. But let me tell you something. Scripture says there is only one way to God. And that is through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And the three aspects of this concept of truth in the Hebrew culture, truth means that one is reliable, that one is faithful. Let me give you an example about what I'm talking about here. You may say that, oh, he or she is a true friend. And I know this whole concept of friends today has become somewhat diluted because of Facebook, because now it's easy to get a friend. I got over 3,000 of them. I don't know one third of them. But it looks good on your Facebook page to say, I've got over 3,000 friends. Jesus says, listen, I am the truth. I am the true and reliable and faithful friend. But this second aspect of truth in the Greek culture refers to something being genuine, something that is opposed to being the counterfeit. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I'm the one you've been looking for. All the rest have been imposters. You don't need to go any further looking for the way because I am the true and living way. Who says amen today? For Jesus to make that claim, he's basically saying, listen, I'm the true way. I'm the one you can count on when things get hard. And life, as we've already said, is hard. But as we look at these three claims that Jesus makes, the claim of being the life was probably the most challenging for his audience to grasp, even if they had an incorrect assumption as to what Jesus was talking about. For when he said, I am the way, they could have easily assumed that Jesus meant that he knew the way or that he could take them and show them the way. 
And when he said, I am the truth, they could have easily thought in their minds that maybe Jesus has the truth. Maybe he has the question that Pilate asked when he says, what is truth? And as I shared a few weeks ago in the, in the clip that I showed during our sermon, you and I can't handle truth. And as I thought about that over the next several weeks, this is what came to me. We're not supposed to handle truth. Truth is supposed to handle us. Some of you will get that as you're driving down the beltway later on this afternoon. But then Jesus makes this outlandish claim. He says, I am the life. And this one is hard to swallow. Or is it really? Maybe they thought that he was saying that he could lead them to a better life, a, a life of freedom, a life of independence, a life from being under the Roman rule. But when you examine John's gospel in its totality, the theme of that book is life, for it's mentioned over 33 times in the Gospel of John, and 15 of those times is making reference not just to physical life, but it's talking about eternal life. So when Jesus said the words, I came that you might have life and more abundantly, in essence, he's saying that my purpose for coming is so that mankind can have access to this life. But was Jesus merely saying that his purpose for coming was so that he could extend our lives, so that he could give us more years? And when you think about it, isn't that the goal of our culture today, to live longer, take a pill, live longer, change your diet, live longer, change your lifestyle, live longer? Well, guess what? I don't want to live too long in this life. Because when you talk about longevity in this life, you're talking about living a life where I've got to deal with pain and, and heartache and, and death and, and sickness and ailments. Hey, when you think about it, hell is better off than living a life that is extended in this life. Because at least there's a finality to hell. But can you imagine living every day for the next 100, 200 years with pain and sickness running through your body? But is that what Jesus is saying here? Is the abundant life just more life, more years? I don't think so. Martin Luther King in his speech that he gave the night before he was assassinated there in Memphis, Tennessee, one of his famous lines for that speech, he talks about long life. He says, I, like anyone would like to live a long life, longevity has its place. Yes, it has its place, but not in this life. Because I don't want to live too long in this life. Long life is one thing. But dear friends, eternal life is something altogether different. And I don't know anyone who wants to live a long life with all that they have to deal with in this life. I don't know how you feel, but in my mind, I would rather take the flames of hell than to have an extended life of pain, an extended life of heartache. You know, every week we get up here and we talk about someone who has died and, and someone who's going through some great calamity. I'm tired of that, aren't you? Aren't you tired of funerals? I know I am. I long for the day that we could have a better life. So when Jesus claims that he is that life, it's not just about adding quantity 
to our lives that he's talking about. He's talking about adding quality to our lives. Go with me to the book of John and just go over a few pages of John chapter 10. If you still have your finger there in John 14. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find what? Pasture. Here's the verse we all are familiar with. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have what? Life. And that they might have it more abundantly. The point Jesus was making is simply this. That the sole purpose was for these men were to use the sheep and to get everything out from them that they could. They were religious leaders who cared nothing about the well-being of the people, and they only used them for what they could get out of them. And that's much like our culture today. Much of what is preached in the pulpits across this nation is about the abundant life, but the only ones that seem to be experiencing that abundant life that is being preached are those who are preaching it. And Jesus says, They're not the true ones, but I'm the truth. But listen to this. He says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to fight for my sheep. I'm willing to do whatever I can to ensure the life of my people, even if it means losing my own life. And I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 5, 7, and 8. He says, listen, rarely will someone die for a righteous man. He says, peradventure, some might die for a good man. But God demonstrates his love in this way, that while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. Amen, church? So when Jesus makes the claim of being life, listen, it's not merely a declaration, but rather it's an invitation to experience the life that he has for you and for me. It's not longevity of years, it's quality of life with God. It's not the bios, the physical life, but it's the zoe, it's life with God. Not life in this world. In our culture today, many preach about abundant life, and most times it's always preached in the context of material gain or wealth or success. But the life that God offers through Jesus Christ, listen, transcends the empty, lifelong quest for materialism that has taken over religion in this country. But it is a life that is experiencing a daily transformation into the image of God. Jesus said it best when he said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you would just remain in my life, you will bear much fruit. And he's not talking about fruit of success. He's not talking about the fruit of victory. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, 
joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, all the things we're searching for, all the things we're trying to acquire through our own effort. Jesus says, I have that for you, but you've got to connect with my life. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Fighting for Your Life. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. Starting 91.9, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And Jesus said that he is the life. And today, Charles Tapp shares how you can obtain the abundant life Jesus offers each of us as he concludes this three-part series with his message, Fighting for Your Life. Fruit is born and we connect our lives to the life of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, I came that you might have life, not success. I came that you might be able to love even your enemies, even those who curse you and abuse you. I came that you can experience life, real life, and its abundance. Not quantity of years, but quality of life. Paul says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power of God's Spirit working in us. That's life. That's real, real life. The life that many in our culture today are fighting to hold on to is a life that offers little hope for the present as well as for the future. In essence, many of us in our culture today are living a life without being alive. In essence, it's having physical life but being dead in our spiritual lives. And probably the greatest story in Scripture that illustrates this point is a very familiar story I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, know, and that is the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Now, we're not going to read the whole story. I'm not even going to read the beginning of the story. I'm going to get very close to the end of the story. It says here, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and and sandals on his feet and bring what? The fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and what? Be merry. In other words, let us have a party. Christians can party, you know. For this is my son was what? Dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began the marriage. As you know this story, two sons, the younger one goes to his father and says, listen, I want my inheritance and I want it now. 
And if you know anything about the Hebrew culture, that was unheard of because if a child, if a son would ever go to his father and say, give me my inheritance before you are dead, in essence, he's saying to his father, he's saying to the family, and he's saying to the community that in my eyes, you are already dead. But what this young man failed to realize was it wasn't his father who was dead, it was the son that was dead. And you know how he took his money and he wasted it on riotous living and and how he had to take a job slopping hogs and all of that, all because he decided to leave the security of his relationship with his father and develop his own independence. In essence, he was fighting for his way. He was fighting to have his truth, and he was fighting to have his own lifestyle. But what he failed to understand was that when you leave the safety of the relationship of the father and set out to live your life and to fight for your life, that in all actuality, you are in for the fight of your life. And many young people today who want to leave home prematurely don't understand that. What they don't understand is that when you leave home and you're on your own, guess what? You are on your own. Our middle daughter, Tiffany, all of our kids are gone. But middle one, she's a school teacher, and she said, Dad, I got a job, now I want to move out. I said, well, sweetheart, you may want to stay home at least a year. Save your money. She fought it, but in the end, she knew I was right, and she stayed home a year. Exactly when the year was up. (laughs) Gone. She got her own place. Now, when she was home, she would turn the thermostat up when she thought it was cold. Even though I told her it's set on a timer. It'll turn on when it's supposed to turn on. And don't touch it. In the summer, when it got hot, she would lower the thermostat, the air conditioning, and it'd be freezing. I said, babe, what are you doing? But that is hot in here. I said, but you're hot. The whole house is not hot. <laughs> Fast forward, she gets her own place. We go to visit. Sweetheart, it's freezing. Dad, don't touch that thermostat. I said, why, baby? It's expensive. It's expensive. Listen. He left the security of his relationship with his father, and he went into a far country. And a far country has nothing to do with distance. You can sit in a pew every Sabbath and be in a far country. Because our mind can take us places our bodies never will be. And many of us today are seated right here, standing right here, but we're in a far country. We are out of the relationship of the security of our Father. Why? Because we are fighting to have our own life. We're fighting for have our own way. We're fighting for what we really think truth is as opposed to what God's Word says it is. We're fighting to develop our own lifestyle apart from the relationship of God, and we fail to realize that when we fight for our own lives, we're in for the fight of our lives. But too many of us are fighting for our lives with God. We're fighting to have our way instead of His way. We're fighting to develop our own truth instead of living by his truth. 
We're trying to have our own lifestyle instead of the lifestyle that he has planned for us. And we're living by our way, our truth, and our life. We are in a far country. And whether we realize it or not, we may be alive physically, but we are dead. We're outside of the relationship with God. We experience spiritual death, lifeless, fruitless. So when Jesus tells Mary and Martha when he showed up after Lazarus had died, and she said, listen, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus says, well, don't worry about it, because I am the resurrection. I am the life. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus I know that he'll, that he'll experience life in the here and after. Jesus said, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus said, listen, I am the life. In essence, he was saying, understand the principle of the greater and the lesser. It is the same principle that Jesus used on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 when he said, listen, don't worry about trying to clothe your body. If I can do the greater and create your body, don't you understand and know that I can provide clothing for that body? So Jesus was telling Mary and Martha, listen, don't be so concerned about him being physically dead. Listen, if I can raise him from being physically dead, don't you know I can raise you from being spiritually dead? Jesus says, I'm life. And it's not just the physical life that he's worried about. Jesus says, I'm concerned about your life with God. How many of you bought a Dodge Caravan? Remember the Dodge Caravan when they first came out? That was the car. You know, now we have SUVs. But then the caravan was the car. We had one of those. Loved that caravan. Drove it everywhere. New York, Florida, everywhere. One day pulling out of the driveway, the transmission went boop. So I took it to Amco. I'm not trying to give a commercial out, but I took it to Amco. He said, sir, got some good news and some bad news. I said, what's the bad news? He said, the bad news is your transmission is shot. I said, what's the good news? We can help you. <laughs> and then he said to me something I had never heard before. Would you like to get a brand new transmission or a rebuilt transmission? I said, what do you mean? What's, what's a rebuilt one? He says, well, first of all, it's cheap. I said, hey. But then he said, he explained to me, well, what we do is we leave the base of your transmission. We take out some of the bad parts and put them in with some used better parts. He said, but the, the downside of this is it's only guaranteed for six months to a year. How much is it? 2000 cheaper? Let's go with the rebuilt. Got the rebuilt. My caravan. Back in service. Nine months later, gone. Why? Because he didn't give me a brand new transmission. He gave me a rebuilt transmission. David says, I don't want a rebuilt heart. There's no guarantee in that. What I want is a brand new heart. You know how you created the world from nothing? Make my heart like that. Make it from scratch. Because when you and I have new hearts, 
We won't be running into the far country after our way, trying to grab hold of our truth, trying to live life the way we want to live it. We will be in relationship with God through Christ that we can experience the abundance of life, the fruit of love and joy and peace. Yes, stuff is still going to happen. Yes, you're still going to die. Yes, you're still going to experience pain. But it's not the longevity of the physical life. It's the quality of our life with God. That's the eternal life. And eternal life begins right now. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Fighting for Your Life. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. And by using these other words and in place of the word sin, it's like we're trying to remove God out of the equation as to being the one to whom we are fundamentally responsible to. What we do affects others. Like good teams that hold each other accountable, in community, we need to hold each other accountable. It says a lot about how much we care about God for others and our community. And next week, Charles Tapp brings understanding to what it means to be our brother's keeper and its impact on the larger community. As he shares his message, our brother's keeper. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.